Book Four, Chapter Eight of the Heavenly Twins. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Judy Guinan. Book Four, Chapter Eight. A few nights later, the tenor went out for a stroll, leaving the windows of his sitting room closed but not fastened, and the lamp turned down. On his return, he was surprised to find the window wide open and the room lit up. The little garden gate was shut and bolted. He could easily have reached over and opened it from the outside, but knowing that it creaked, and not wanting to disturb his nocturnal visitor until he had ascertained his occupation, he jumped over it lightly, walked across the grass plot to the window, and looked in. It was the boy, of course. The tenor recognized him at once, although all he could see of him at first were his legs as he knelt on the floor with his back to him and his head and shoulders under a sofa. What in the name of fortune is he up to now, the tenor wondered. Just then the boy got up frowning and flushed with stooping. He stamped his foot impatiently and looked all round the room in search of something. Suddenly his face cleared he had discovered his violin on the top of a bookshelf above him and that was apparently what he wanted for he made a dash at it and took it down and hugged it affectionately the tenor smiled and stepped down into the room he did not wish to take his visitor unawares but the carpet was soft and thick and his quick step as he crossed to where the boy was standing with his back to him absorbed in the contemplation of his beloved instrument made no noise so that when the tenor laid his hand on the boy's shoulder he did startle him considerably the boy did not drop his instrument but he uttered an almost womanish shriek and faced round with such a scared white look that the tenor thought he was going to faint he recovered immediately however and then exclaimed angrily how dare you startle me so everybody knows i can't bear to be startled if you are nothing but a blunderer you will spoil everything and i bolted the gate too it would have made a noise if you had opened it as you ought to have done and then i should have known i've a good mind to go away now and never come back again i'm very sorry said the tenor but how was i to know it was you it might have been a thief thieves don't come to steal grand pianos and armchairs and lighted chambers with the windows open and the blinds up the boy retorted don't you feel mean spying around like that are you an american the tenor interrupted blandly yes i am with asperity and you must have known quite well it was me who else could get into the close after the gates were shut i never thought of that said the tenor and how do you get in pray by the postern no was the answer i come by the water gate and his face cleared as he saw the tenor's puzzled glance at his garments i'm not wet he said i don't swim but the ferry does not cross after six no but i do you see and now let us make music he added his good humour restored by the tenor's mystification if you will be so good as to accompany me with your piano i will give you a treat i brought my music the last time i was here and there it was piled up on a chair beside the instrument the tenor could have sworn that neither chair nor music was there when he went out that evening but what was the use of swearing he felt that the boy in his present mood would have outsworn him without scruple and it pleased him to maintain his assertion so he opened his piano in silence and the music began and it was a rare treat indeed which the tenor enjoyed that night 
the boy played with great technical mastery of the instrument but even that was not so remarkable as the originality of his interpretations he possessed that sympathetic comprehension of the master's ideas which is the first virtue of a musician but even when he was most true to it he managed to throw some of his strong individuality into the rendering and hence the originality which was the special charm of his playing as an artist he certainly satisfied even the sensitive soul of the tenor was refreshed when he played but in other respects he was obviously deficient so long as things were pleasant it was a question whether he would ever stop to ask himself if they were right acts which lead to no bodily evil such as sickness or that lowering of the system which lessens the power of enjoyment he was not likely in his present phase to see much objection to and for the truth for verbal accuracy in his assertions that is he had no particular respect all this however the tenor was more reluctant to acknowledge perhaps than slow to perceive he was one of those who expect a great soul to accompany great gifts and what he did know of the boy's shortcomings he condoned he believed the young tone poet's power was in itself an indication of high aspirations and those he thought were only temporarily suppressed by a boyish affection of cynicism but the boy did not give the tenor much time to think his mind was quick glancing like his eyes when he was animated and he carried the tenor along with him from one occupation to another with distracting glee when he was tired of making music as he called it he demanded food and so long as he could cook it and serve it himself he delighted in bacon and eggs as much as he did in bach and beethoven the tenor tried to wean him of his nocturnal habits but to this the boy would not listen he said he liked to sit up all night and when he said he liked a thing he seemed to think he had adduced an unanswerable argument in its favor the tenor complained of fatigue the long nights affected his voice he said and made him unfit for work but the boy only grinned at this and told him he'd get used to it then he threatened to shut up the house and go to bed if the boy did not come in proper time and on one occasion he carried out his threat but when the boy arrived he made night hideous with horrid howls until the tenor could stand it no longer and was obliged to get up and let him in to preserve the peace of the neighborhood after which the tenor ceased to remonstrate and it became one of the pleasures of his life to prepare for this terrible hungry boy he worked in his garden early and late cultivating the succulent roots which the latter loved the fruits and the vegetables and last but not least the flowers for he never could feed without flowers he said and the tenor ministered to this exaction with the rest he is dainty because he is delicate the tenor thought always excusing him when he is older and stronger he will grow out of all these epicurean niceties of taste i must make him dig too and fence and row he'll soon develop more manliness that he was spoiling the boy in the meantime never occurred to him not even when he noticed that the latter took all these kindnesses as a matter of course and only grumbled when some accustomed attention was omitted the tenor was vexed sometimes and obliged to find fault but the boy could always soothe him i am sure you love me he would say your life was not worth living until i came and you could not live without me now i am a horrid little brute i know but i have my finer feelings too my capacity for loving and that raises me all love is sweet given or returned when the boy quoted or recited anything he really felt he had a way of lingering over the words as if each syllable were a pleasure to him 
the deep contralto of his voice was at its sweetest then and he seldom failed to make his own mood felt as he intended the tenor justly incensed by some wicked piece of mischief was often obliged to turn away that he might maintain his authority and not be seen to soften but he never deceived the boy who could gauge the effect of his persuasion to a nicety and would grin like a fiend behind the tenor's back at the success of his own eloquence no matter what he had done by hook or by crook he always managed to bring about a reconciliation before they parted he knew the tenor's weak point angelica and when everything else failed he would play upon that unmercifully but he had a way of speaking of his sister which often made the tenor seriously angry he did not believe the boy meant half the disrespect with which he mentioned her but it galled him nevertheless and on one occasion when the boy had repeated some scandalous gossip to which the tenor objected and afterward excused himself by saying that it was not his but his sister's story the tenor's indignation overflowed and he lectured him severely you should never forget that your sister is an innocent girl he said and it is degrading to her even to have her name associated with such ideas but the boy only grinned bless you he retorted don't make so much ado about nothing she's quite as wise as we are the tenor's eyes flashed i call that disloyal he said even if it were true and it is not true it would be disloyal and i am ashamed of you if you ever dare to speak of your sister in that light way to me again i'll thrash you for a moment the boy was astonished by the threat his jaw dropped and he stared at the tenor but quickly recovering himself he burst into an uncontrollable fit of laughter oh my he exclaimed what a brother-in-law you would be how do you know she is such a saint you are a little brute was all the answer the tenor vouchsafed but the question made him think he could picture her to himself at any time as he saw her in the canon's pew and the pale proud purity of her face with the unvarying calm of her demeanour were assurances enough for him his dear lady his delicate-minded girl he would stop it he would make this scapegrace brother of hers respect her even as he had threatened if necessary do you know what she calls you the youth asked presently breaking in upon the tenor's meditation in a confident way as if he could not be mistaken about the subject of it but the tenor was not to be beguiled all at once i have already requested you not to mention your sister to me he said i know was the cool rejoinder but i promised on my word of honour to tell you what she calls you she calls you israfel israfel he repeated the angel of song you know but the tenor made no sign the boy watched him a moment and then continued unabashed i shall call you israfel myself i think for the future but i like your own name too he added i have only just found it out everybody here calls you the tenor you know and how did you find out pray if i may ask i looked everywhere said the boy glancing round him comprehensively and at last i found it on the back of an old envelope that was in the bible you keep in the bedroom here it is and he took it out of his pocket-book david julian van temple esq haythorpe castle hayes n b a painful spasm contracted the tenor's face oh boy he said in a deep stern voice that made the latter quail for once have you no sense of honour at all you must give that back to me immediately the boy returned it without a word and the tenor went upstairs his step was listless and when he came back he looked pale and disheartened he sat down in his accustomed seat beside the fireplace farthest from the window that looked out upon the cathedral 
but facing it himself and rested his elbow on the arm of the chair and his head on his hand taking no notice of the boy however who waited a while casting anxious glances at him and then rose softly and stole away when the tenor roused himself he found a slip of paper on the table beside him on which was written dear israfel i beg your pardon i did it without thinking i will never hurt you like that again only forgive me and the tenor forgave him on another occasion when there was peace between them and they were both in a merry mood the boy said he had a grievance and when the tenor asked what it was he complained that the tenor had never taken interest enough in him to ask him his name no now you mention it the tenor answered i never thought of your having a name do you mean to say you think me such a non-entity just the opposite your individuality is so strongly marked that you don't seem to require to be labelled like other people by the by what is your name claude the tenor laughed ironically oh no he said it is maud you mean delicate dainty white-fingered maud but the boy only roared this kind of insinuation never roused his resentment on the contrary it delighted him imagine the feelings of the flowers he said with a burst of laughter that convulsed him if my remarkable head sunning over with curls were to shine out on them suddenly and want to be their sun i am afraid you're incorrigible the tenor answered you seem to glory in being effeminate if wholesome ridicule has no effect you'll die an old woman in the appropriate sense of the word i'll make you respect these delicate fingers of mine though the boy irritatively interposed and then he took up his violin i'll make you quiver he drew a long melodious wail from the instrument then lightly ran up the chromatic scale and paused on an upper note for an instant before he began with perfect certainty of idea and marvellous modulations and transitions in the expression of it to make music that steeped the tenor's whole being in bliss the latter had noticed before that it was to his senses absolutely not at all to his intellect that the boy's playing always appealed but he did not quarrel with it on that account for music was the only form of sensuous indulgence he ever rioted in and besides once under the spell of the boy's playing he could not have resisted it even if he would so completely was he carried away the boy's white fingers were certainly not out of place at such work do i play like an old woman in the opprobrious sense of the word he demanded mimicking the tenor oh boy the latter exclaimed with a deep-drawn sigh of satisfaction you have genius when you play you are like that creature in the witch of atlas a sexless thing it was and in its growth it seemed to have developed no defect of either sex yet all the grace of both but the boy frowned for a moment at the definition and then he said is that what you call genius now i make it something like that only different i believe it is the attributes of both minds masculine and feminine perfectly united in one person of either sex the tenor lolling in his easy chair smiled at him lazily there was no end to his indulgence of the boy but still he led him by example principally but also by suggestion as on one occasion when the boy had been sketching out a scheme of life in which self was all predominant and the tenor asked do you never feel any impulse to do something for your suffering fellow-creatures to which the boy at first rejoined derisively am i not one of the best of their benefactors would you say that a fellow who plays as i can does nothing for his fellow-creatures to make music is my vocation and i follow it like a man 
but after a moment's thought he confessed once indeed i did try to do some good in the world but i failed disastrously what did you try i took a class in a sunday school he waited to enjoy the effect of this announcement on the tenor i did indeed he protested but um i cannot say that success attended the effort in fact both i and my class were forcibly ejected from the building before the school closed you see i had no vocation and it was foolish to experiment the tenor said no more on the subject and did not mean to but the boy returned to it himself eventually and it was evident that the wish to do something for somebody was taking possession of him seriously this was the tenor's tactful way with him and from such slight indications of awakening thought he continued to augur well for the boy end of book four chapter eight recording by judy guinan